Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish. And And this this is the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Let's make getting old the new gold, as oh, you say. I like that. I like that one too. That was mine. I think. That was mine. Hi, 50 Ishes. It's Mel and Trish. Welcome to this week's episode of Don't Give a 50, a podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and just don't give a 50. We are not slowing down. We are not slowing down. We are not putting on the handbrake. We are thriving and living our best lives every single day. Well, that is the goal. That's and the goal. Yeah, yeah. Can't do more than that at the moment. So we've had lots of feedback from our chat with Lisa Curry. Lorraine wrote you <laughs> on the... Now, you may wonder why we're laughing. So I'll take over. Lorraine wrote a review on the Apple Podcast app. 50 and awesome. Love it. Short and sweet. I love it too. But what (laughs) Mel didn't know when she was writing this is that I am Lorraine. My middle name is Lorraine and I was trying very hard to work out how to leave a rating and review and actually recorded on my iPhone and I left that. Review it. And I found it and was all excited. Is your middle name Lorraine? Yes, L O W R A Y N E. Because my mum's name is Lorraine, L O W R A Y N E. So she just changed one letter and made a name up. She certainly did. (laughs) Yes. It's very common these days. But anyway, maybe an in joke, but it was me. Mel didn't realise that I had left my ass a review and she put it on our show. And I put it on. So sorry about cracking up there, but that was very, very funny. Anyway, Anyway, we also had lots of feedback 
from our chat with Lisa Curry. So Kimberly Amos said, the sound of you three in a room together, the memories, the laughter, the wisdom, wonderful women. So thank you, Kim. And Appy Four said, this chat was so good. Had a laugh and related to the conversations. Well done. So thank you, girls. Thanks for taking the time to write in. Well, actually, that was sort of messages and feedback on Instagram. We so, so appreciate both of you for for doing that. Trish, we have been dying to get psychologist Peter Quarry back on the podcast. Or to Pete, chat. as I like to call <laughs> Just cut to the chase. Yeah. I, for one, got so much out of the particular episode that we did with him, and I've shared it with women who are struggling to find renewed purpose. So Peter spoke to us about how to write a life review and, very importantly, finding your purpose in life. So 50 issues. if you haven't listened, it's episode 51, and I just found everything Peter said so valuable that day, and I know you did too. Yes. It, was a, it was a really it was a really great chat. So a quick recap, particularly those who haven't haven't been introduced to Peter. He's a multi-award winning psychologist whose videos and training programs are used by Fortune 500 companies, universities and other companies in over 20 countries around the world. He was the resident psychologist on Good Morning Australia for seven years and is a sought-after seminar leader and speaker. He's the author of the Self-Help Memoir. Do you struggle with that? Self-Help Memoir. If I were you, a psychologist puts himself on the couch and most recently wrote an article in the Financial Review about celebrity memoirs and what they should really contain. Lucky us, Trish, Peter agreed to come back today and we spoke to him about all sorts of things. So much. We? I well, got a lot out of it. And yeah. the most amazing part is we got in complete flow and I looked at the timer and it mm. was well over an hour. So yeah. whether we break that up into two episodes is yet to be, to be decided. decided. But mm. don't be freaked out. It just, the conversation flowed and I think that he had so many interesting ways at looking at finding our purpose and ageing. Anxiety, addressing anxiety. Yes, um, yes. He touches on CBT ther- therapy, Just all sorts that, of things. that anxiety that we might have about finding our purpose. Mm, goal setting, mm. scaling up, scaling down. There was multiple things. This is a really great chat. Here's Peter Quarry. Peter, welcome back to Don't Give a 50. It is so good to see you again. Yes, and we were just commenting before we press record on how fabulous Peter's looking. Thank you so much. It is, I mean, flatter me as much as you like. You will get anything you want from me. It is, it is <laughs> but it's lo- genuine, Peter. It's genuine. I know, I know. I, know, I accept it. I, look, it is lovely to be back. I know we talked sometime last year. I don't quite remember when. September. September. And I have no idea mm-hmm. what we talked about, but what I do have a very <laughs> clear recollection about <laughs> is that one of you lost the piece of paper with the questions. Oh, I don't know which, that would be me. I, I don't know which one. <laughs> I don't know. I was feeling so nervous that I'd done something wrong because that's just my instant default. I don't yeah, know no, which that one. was me. I don't know which one, but one of it you, was... the other one sort of, we'd, we'd started recording, so the other one was sort of <laughs> trying to keep the conversation going, flying blind, doing a terrific job, and all I heard in the background was kind of this rustling, <laughs> rustling of paper and uh, yeah. you don't know, swear words. Where, where are the bloody questions? Where are the bloody questions? Where did I put them? Where the I think mm. I think bloody is a very kind softening of what was actually being said. I, I, I think was, it was the 50. I was word. editing. I was editing. But it was. I have a very, yeah. very funny recollection of that. Not not of anything else we spoke about, but of that moment. So yeah. Well, I, I do because it's still one of my favourite episodes. We talked about the writing of your book ah. and how to write a life review and then we moved on to finding your purpose 
purpose in life. And it was absolutely fantastic. You gave some really clear advice, stepped it out, because it is a common theme we are hearing with people our age is that they're looking to repurpose their lives right now. Well, it's very funny you should say that because, I mean, first of all, I'm delighted. That's really, really great. And I can't say I'm surprised that, that that's of interest. It's very interesting. I went to, I was a guest speaker at a lunch last week in Melbourne. It was called the Melbourne Marquee Luncheon. And it's a little private Mm. group of about between 60 and 70 people. And they're all people from show business. So they're kind of radio people, TV people, actors, musos, comedians, Mm. and also people from behind. So camera people and audio people. So all all people of a certain age, I must say. And anyway, Mm -hmm. I was talking about my book and blah, blah, blah. But this guy came up to me at the end. And I won't say who it was, but you would know him. He was a very famous comedian here in Australia in the kind of 80s, I think and possibly 90s. Now a gentleman in his early 70s, and he came up to Mm -hmm. me and he said, Peter, have you ever heard of relevance deprivation syndrome? And I said, actually, no, I haven't. I mean, I immediately kind of got a, got a bit of an idea of what he was talking about. He said, yeah, it's, it's the idea of when you're hot, you're hot, and when you're not, you're not, and how do you cope with that? And, yeah. it, and anyway, I came home and I was fascinated by it, and I decided to do a little bit of research. And, in fact, it was a term coined by Gareth Evans, who you may remember was oh, the yes. foreign minister in the, in the yes. sort of last Labor government. Yes, I do. And he coined the phrase, I don't know where, but after they lost power and he stopped being the foreign minister, he was kind of out of the limelight. And yep. he was talking apparently about the difficulty of doing that. And anyway, it's got me thinking, and I'm, I'm actually very excited about it, and I've started researching this topic with the idea of possibly writing my second book about this. But to go back to your comment, it's really about how do you reinvent yourself after you step out mm. of the limelight. And very, very yeah. difficult because you're not sort of famous anymore. You're not relevant anymore. How do you find a new path in life? And it's a very, very interesting question. It is also relevant within the realm of sport because we've seen some of our, our high-profile sportsmen and women sort of fall off the rails or go off the rails a little bit because they're lost. Absolutely. Look, And stepping away from the limelight and the accolades and the constant support network around them and then all of a sudden they're sort of cast adrift, I suppose. That's how it must feel. Absolutely. And look, it's not just sports people, but think models, for example, who who depend on their their youth, because we live in a very ageist Mm. society. They depend on the youth. Once that kind of fades, well, what now? And some of them manage to reinvent Mm. themselves and kind of have a new path forwards. Some don't, and it can be quite sad. Yeah, true. Fortunately, within that realm, at least we are seeing now more mature age models. Yes, yes, but still, fortunate, which is a good, which is a good thing. But even so, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, we've got a long way to go. Not as many as there should be. We've got a long way to go. Absolutely. I just wanted to track onto the the article that you wrote in the Financial Review, and congratulations on that, Um, and thank you for sending me a, a copy through. And what struck me was the truth in how celebrity memoirs have become an exercise in blind egotism and self 
self-delusion. I'm quoting Slay, Peter. Slay. (laughs) That was so good. And I also loved novelist Paul Theroux, who describes them as mostly witless, self-serving, unrevealing portraiture. And my thoughts, I mean, come on, they're just trying to spin an extra buck. No, but what, yeah, yeah, because they need it. But what I was thinking, Peter, was that they needed, yeah, yeah, exactly, but they they needed to read your book (laughs) first before they embark on this memoir writing exercise. Well, that's exactly right. And if you bump into Prince Harry, maybe you care to share that that insight with him. Look, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the two quotes that I, I wrote in that article in the Financial Review, it was, it was a couple of weeks ago now. The first one was by a journalist, Janet Albrechtson, who writes in The Australian. So that actually wasn't me who said that, it was her. And then the second one oh, was okay. Paul Thoreau, as you correctly say. Right, okay. Uh, look, the, yep. the, the, the whole thing in my view about writing a memoir is that you don't, you shouldn't just describe what happened. This happened and yeah. I got married and then I moved here and then blah, blah, blah. In other words, just describing the story. My whole shtick is that you need to step back and actually try to unpack it to make sense of it. And that involves mm. asking questions, posing questions. Mm. So what could I have done better? What have I learned about life? What have I learned about myself by writing this yeah. this story of my life? So it's that sort of psychological mm. unpacking that unfortunately most people don't do. Yeah, and I suppose a lot of them write their memoirs with authors rather than psychologists. And really what they should be doing is writing them with psychologists, shouldn't they, to help them through that process. And it would probably make a far more, well, enlightening read. Well, well, exactly. I mean, and the the reason that I argue that that this is a good idea is not just because, ho, 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 it makes it a more interesting read, which it does, but also the Mm. research very clearly shows that when people reflect on the story of their life. In other words, they don't just write what happened, but they do this sort of unpacking or processing that it leads to all sorts of physical and psychological benefits. You sleep better, your immune system is better, your blood pressure goes down. I mean, it's really quite extraordinary. So there's a whole bunch of physical and mental benefits. And that's why I encourage people to do. Mind you, people are often scared. They're often fearful. Of course. And I think I mentioned yeah. I think I mentioned an anecdote in the article. I was being interviewed at the at a, a writers' festival late last year, and there was a guy in the audience about my age, and he said, "Look, everything that you're saying makes sense, and I I, I really want to sort of start writing about my life because I've had an amazing life, but I'm a bit scared that somebody might find it." And it was one of those weird moments, and I don't know where this came from, but I said, are you scared that somebody else is going to find it or are you scared about you reading it yourself? God bless him, he paused and he said, no, I think you're right. I think I'm scared of facing up to it myself. And I said, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Go for it. You don't need to show anyone. This can be a piece of work just for you. Not every memoir has to be published. That's right. Yeah, I was immediately thinking I'd be scared of what other people would say if they read (laughs) <laughs> the unpacking for some of the shit yeah. I got up to when I was younger. Well, you, you, surely not, Linda. You, you've read my book, I guess. I mean, you yeah, heard it here, people. I, I got yes. up to a lot of sex, drugs, and lo- rock did. and roll. Yeah. Maybe not so much rock and roll. So you did, yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, yeah. you know, and we talked about that. I, I don't know whether I told you this last time we spoke about the book, but one of the things that I got out of it—I mean, forget everybody else—one of the things that I got out of it, which really surprised me because I wasn't expecting it was that I had this this strange sense of kind of liberation and that the best words that I can use to describe it being known I feel now that I'm 
I'm known. Now, I don't mean known in the sense of being famous and all of that stuff. Yeah. Just that I've mm. kind of stepped out of the closet, if you will, or the many closets, and it's all out there. And there's something so kind of cleansing mm. and yeah. uh, revitalizing about that process. I, I, as I say, I wasn't expecting it. It was really quite a surprise, but it's been a great delight. It's funny. Mm. Peter, that <clears throat> reminds me of kind of we often talk about being the power in everyone being more vulnerable and more honest because you kind of live in that society that's not as judgmental because we're all going, hey, everyone's got their shit. It's just different and being through this and being through that. Whereas generations before kind of swept everything in the carpet and the kind of the the portrayed image was that everything was fine. Yeah. Then we learn that no, no family's normal. <laughs> well, no. that's that's right, and and the more normal they look, is possibly the less normal yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I I like to use the word intimacy. I mean, often when we talk about intimacy, we we think more about physical intimacy, and that's certainly important. Yep. But there's also interpersonal yep. intimacy in the sense of really getting to know someone. And that's a two-way street. It's not just about listening to them revealing themselves. It's also about sharing stuff about yourself. And every time you share something about yourself, it's scary. You feel vulnerable because there's a chance that they may reject you. Yeah. This this leads me to something that's very that, that I find very interesting that, that maybe we can talk about a bit more later on during the chat, but the idea of reaching out to people. I'm a great believer that we should reach out to people, to strangers, strike up, strike up conversations, talk to people. In fact, often I talk to people in the street, I talk to people in the supermarket, I talk to people everywhere I can. And in fact, I'm, I'm in the process of making a documentary looking exactly at, at that whole process. And we've already filmed a whole bunch of scenes where I and my, my colleague, Eve Ash, who's another psychologist, we go into parks and we literally sit on park benches and start up conversations with people. And it is amazing how many people want to talk to you, want to respond to you, who wouldn't necessarily start a conversation themselves. But if you start a conversation with them, they actually respond. And and sometimes you get into these really deep and meaningful conversations really quickly. I mean, other times you just talk silly stuff, which is is fine as well. But it, it made me do a little bit of looking around at the psychological research. And I came across a very interesting study that looked at the at, at the whole thing of when you, you think you want to talk to somebody, but you think, ah, oh, they won't be interested or they'll think of what I'm saying is boring or they'll be judgmental. In fact, if you look at the research, people fear that people are going to be negative and judgmental far more than they actually are. In other words, yeah. people are actually much more open, much more willing to engage with you than most people think. And I reckon armed with that piece of knowledge, Go out and talk to people. It's it's a wonderful mm. way of spreading a bit of intimacy around the world, so to speak. Peter, interesting that you say that because we get that response quite often when we ask people to come on the podcast. They'll say, oh, but I don't really have anything to say. Oh. Nobody would find me interesting. My story's not fascinating. I'm not amazing enough. And we will get to that point because mm. um, we, we do actually want to talk about that. Yeah. I Just briefly going back to your financial review yeah 
article, yeah. there was uh, another question about one of our favourite octogenarians, Jane Fonda. So she talks about, because you referenced yeah. her in the in the, in the the article, and she talks about the importance of curiosity. And she also did a life review. Yeah. And I wrote a question about that, but you've already answered it. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll move That's on. Me. That's me. <laughs> yeah. I answer the no, questions. Really, answer the questions before they are asked. You're very intuitive, yes. Peter. You're very intuitive. <laughs> you're so intuitive. You knew exactly what I was going to ask last you. Regarding the starting conversations, it's. I oh, hang on. I haven't asked my question. <laughs> well, I was just trying to get one in to tell you the truth. I saw a gap and I went for it, but no, it just shut down completely. Just uh, hold the phone for two secs and let me get this one out because she talks about and you love this about curiosity. Yeah. And she said about, she talks about the importance of curiosity. And Trish and I both are huge believers yeah. in this yeah. and, and about asking lots of questions, reading lots of books, finding a positive in every situation. And she says, and this is a quote, if you stay curious as an older person, you will also stay young for a long yeah. time. So how does this work in the coping with ageing process? Well, I mean, it really is exactly what she said. I, I don't know that I can kind of unpack it and repack it in, 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 in much of a different way. But I think when you're curious, there's an energy, there's an excitement. I mean, that's what curiosity is. It's, a, it's an energy to try and explore something, to find out something. And I, I absolutely believe and agree with Jane that it is a critical part of remaining youthful. I mean, if you think of children, children are naturally curious. That, you know, yeah. that, that they want to explore, they want to try and find out, they want to look around that corner, they want to open that box. And I think a lot of our curiosity kind of gets beaten out of us as we get older. Mm. And maybe later on in life when you feel a little bit more secure, when you have your shit together, to use that expression, you can kind of rediscover some of your curiosity. But curiosity involves all sorts of different pathways. So when, for example, I say that I like to talk to lots of people, that's a form of curiosity. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you're finding out about people's stories. And when I speak to people, I hear all sorts of amazing stories about people's backgrounds and their relationships, and I, I love all of that. But if you, if you come across an idea, curiosity means doing a little research, reading it, buying a book about it, finding out about it. Mm. Uh, curiosity, I think, also can take different forms. For example, Reading different newspapers or looking at different TV shows or different films from the normal ones that you would tend to watch all the time, that's a form of curiosity. Yep. And I think it helps to keep your brain kind of flexible because otherwise you get too Great. rigid and too closed yeah. down in your own particular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, God, and God knows with <clears throat> the way the media is nowadays such that everybody only follows their own particular path, I think it's really yep. important to stay as broad as possible. Great, yeah, love I that. That's, that's, a great, uh, that's a great answer. And, Melinda, as Serena Russo, the Serena Russo a Business Academy in Brisbane said when I was a student of business administration back in the early 80s, Oh, late no, 80s, late 80s, sorry. I stand corrected. <laughs> if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're rotten. Okay. Simple as that, really. Fabulous. I love it. I love it. <laughs> we just we can wrap it up there, yeah, don't we? <laughs> I mean, if you want me to break it down and put it very precise, there you go. <laughs> I don't even have a degree in psychology. You, Peter and I can help you. You should write one. a book with Peter. <laughs> Why you <laughs> That's all you That's need. That's all I've got. I can't write a book. Yeah, it's all you need. See, it's all you need. And if I research, it's probably somebody else's say. <laughs> okay, well, just hang on. I, I mean, I know we're joking about this. 
If you had told me four years ago that I was going to write a book, I would have thought, you've dropped too much acid. And here I am four years later and I'm on the circuit at writers' festivals and podcasts yes. and what oh, have you. I love that. It's, it's amazing. I love that for you. Uh, well, but, yeah. but okay, why shouldn't it be for everyone? I mean, not necessarily the path of writing a book, but whatever the path is, you've yeah. got to stay active, curious. You've got to keep experimenting, yep. trying things out. Not, yeah. And, and the, one, of the, one of the great things about being older is that you don't care that much what people think about you. It doesn't matter if you make a mistake. Look, it's funny. I was, I was talking to, I was at gym this morning and I needed a piece of equipment that sort of those rubber bands. And there was a guy, a young guy using them. And he said, oh, when you're finished, can I have them? And anyway, we just started chatting. And the gym I go to is at Melbourne University, so he was he was a student, and we just started chatting. Lovely kid, I mean, twenty years old, and I mm. was saying to him, "What are you studying, and what do you want to do when you you finished?" And he was sort of looking at me, and I could tell that he had no idea what he wanted to do when he was finished, and that this was filling him with some angst. And as I was walking yeah. away from Jim, I remember thinking to myself. I wouldn't want to be 20 again for all the tea in China. I mean, I'd love to have his hair and his tight body and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and this is something to do with ageing that I think is important. Yes, we do lose certain things, but, hey, we gain them as well. And we gain wisdom, but we also gain a security and a, a, a lack of concern about, oh, gee, I've made a mistake. Okay, so what? Brush yourself down, move on to the next thing. So true. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I think I think when we talk about aging, the idea of being braver maybe than we were before is important. And yeah. I encourage people over 50, be brave. So to that man who was scared of writing about his life, I said, go for it. Just do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to hear more from Peter, we're going to be back just after this short break. So 50s Tribe, let us tell you about one of our little favourite shopping haunts. Sweet Charlotte Studio. So they have two standalone stores on the Sunshine Coast. However, they have a really large online store. And this is important for all our 50-ishers who don't live on the sunny coast yes, and can't access. Like me. If you live remote <laughs> like me, it's very handy. The website itself is so easy to navigate and you may even recognise some of the models when you go on there. Yes, because Trish and I are on there quite a lot. <laughs> which is just an absolute thrill to do that. So, yeah, if you jump online, you will see us. Staff are super helpful. So if you are shopping online, you can always give them a call or reach out. Also, they have heaps of natural fibres, linens and silks and gorgeous relaxed styles that I absolutely love. Check out their website, sweetcharlottestudio.com.au to get 10% off your first There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Order. So, Peter, on what you were just saying, yes. Mel and I were part of a conversation last week with a friend and she mentioned that sometimes after listening to the podcast and we've been interviewing so many esteemed ladies that have achieved this and gentlemen that have achieved this, achieved that, et cetera, et cetera, that sometimes it leaves her feeling a little bit kind of, well, I'm not doing much at all, kind of a little bit kind of disheartened at where she is, like she should be doing something. And I really resonated with that because years ago when I first was interested in podcasts, I was listening to one, which I absolutely loved. It was three ladies up for a chat. Mel and I have actually fortunately been able to interview all of those ladies and theirs was very much a wellness base and I was, I live remotely, so they were keeping me company on the farm. So, but it got to a stage, they were very wellness orientated and they spoke to a lot of amazing people, but I did get to a stage where I kind of started to feel bad about myself because I felt like I was never doing enough, like I had all of this information coming in and I knew what to do. Yep but I wasn't executing it. And so when she said that to Mm. me, I went, yeah, that's not how we want people to feel. And that's certainly not what the Up For A Chat girls intended. It's more our own personal psyche that we put that pressure on ourselves. Mm. So I guess what I'm wondering is why do we struggle to feel content and be able to enjoy life? I mean, a good life, to me doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have that big next amazing goal or you like the little goals that we get so much joy out of spending time with family, all of those little day-to-day things that may seem unimportant or um, unimpressive are sometimes so important. But yet we think if we're not like, writing a book or doing a yeah. podcast doing or the starting ticket, a new business or the big ticket whatever. Items. Yeah. If we're not doing the big ticket items, people can yeah. feel, I guess. So like, like is it is it FOMO or is it a, a byproduct of comparisonitis or self-sabotage? Yeah, so oh, maybe a form yeah. of that. Oh, look, I, what I, you, I, is it just human nature? I, look, I think all of the above to a certain extent, but but I think it has a lot to do with what you said, making comparisons. And unfortunately, in the media, a lot of the people who talk about these things do, you're quite right, talk about the big items. I'm going to write a book or I'm going to do a podcast. And that's not the kind of arena for everyone. But I think I think yeah. you hit the nail on the head when you talked about big goals versus little goals. So it's for me, it's a matter of scaling up or scaling down. And if you think about it, The same principles apply, but you have to apply them to your own scale, your own life. I mean, let me give you an example. I try to stay fit, and there's certainly a lot of evidence, as as you you well know, that exercise is, in fact, they're, they're now saying that exercise is more important than diet in terms of living a long life, and not just a long life, but a long kind of happy life functioning well. And I've, I've been exercising regularly for years. I've, I've had a trainer because I'm very lazy and if I don't have a trainer, I won't do it on my own. You're not alone there. <laughs> yeah, but about five years ago, I decided to take up swimming. And, I mean, oh, yeah. I know how to swim. I learned to swim as a child. But if you asked me to swim from here to the end of the room, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I just didn't have the sort of the strength. And so what I did is I decided 
to start to use the principles of change, of how to make a change in your life, which is to set very small attainable goals and build in a reward. Now, this can work whether you're doing something very, very small or something very, very large, like writing a book or making a film or or what have you. So the, the idea there is scalability. You can scale it up or you can scale it down. So I set myself a goal to swim one lap, and I thought if I could just do that, I'll be happy. So I swam the lap and I went out and got an ice cream, build in a reward, always very important. And I did this for about a month. And then I thought, okay, that's pretty good. I'm now going to swim two laps. Wow. Big next step. I managed to do that. Got an ice cream. Set. I now swim a kilometer three times a week. Yeah. Well done. Now, if you had told me once again, five years ago, that I'd be swimming a kilometer, I mean, I'm nearly 70 for God's sake, that I'd be swimming a kilometer three times a week, I would have said, you're crazy. Mm. So... The reason I tell that story is the principles of making a change in your life, of of finding meaning, of finding purpose, can be scaled up or can be scaled down according to your particular story. And it doesn't mean that those principles aren't good, aren't right, aren't relevant, aren't useful, but you just use them according to what's happening in your particular life. So when you say scale up, what do you mean? Oh, well, you, you, I mean, it's bigger. So if you if if you said, do you mean like, right, I'm going to write a book? Yeah. And you, but you still do it in bite-sized that's pieces right. to make that's, it attainable. That's exactly You're still right. setting. So the principles are the same, yeah. but the goal can be scaled up or down. Correct. But the principles, the principles are the same. So when people say, oh, I've read some book or I've watched some video or what have you, listened to a podcast and somebody has been talking about this big project that they're working on, but that's not for me. I'm just a sort of a little person with a much smaller life. That doesn't mean that they can't still make changes in their life. The changes will just be at a different scale. And in terms of comparison, that's a really, really difficult problem in our society. And it's not just for older people. All the youngies are doing it on Instagram. They're constantly Mm. checking Instagram, checking how I look versus Instagram, all that sort of stuff. And I reckon that this is a major contributing reason for the very high incidence of depression in our society. Yes, Mm. and anxiety. I agree too because mm. I just I often wonder thinking why so many people have got great lives and they should be content yet we feel like we're not doing enough. It's well, that, kind of that, like that. that, 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 that know, also, if we're not busy then we're not living our full lives and we're, yeah. Well, look, this, this, this speaks to the issue of what's important in life. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time doing nothing. People might listen to me and say, oh, he's very successful, he's been on TV and he's written a book and blah, blah, blah. I spend a lot of time doing nothing. So I'm actually extremely lazy. I mean, and when I talk about lazy, I'm talking about lying on the couch, doing nothing, daydreaming. And for a long time when I was younger, I used to feel guilty about that. I think, oh, I should be, I should be, I should be. And as I got older, once again, going back to what we talked about before, you give yourself permission to do whatever you want. And so now I am lazy and I do nothing and I just think that's what I want to do right now and that's okay. And there's a wonderful sense of permission that you can give yourself to do that. So I I think we have all these shoulds in our head. We should be doing this. Mm. We should be doing that. I mean, there was a, a psychologist called Albert Ellis back in the, I think he was in the late 60s, early 70s, who wrote one of the very, very first books on what was to become CBT, cognitive-based therapy. And he talked about masturbation, that we all masturbate a lot. 
Oh, oh yes. yeah, that's yep. so good. We, I should be doing this. I must be doing. I must be popular. I must be thin. I must be busy. I must be achieving. Yeah, things. I should go I to the should gym. To the I gym. should. I should. Now, yeah, that can be a real killer because you just become frozen. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent overwhelmed. So once again, for me, the key to dealing with all of this is around the the way you set goals. And it's important, like my swimming example hopefully gave, it's important to set goals that are small, that are attainable, that are achievable and where you have a reward. And then you slowly build on each of those attainments. And that's a much better way of achieving sustainable change than trying to go out and do everything straight away. I'm going to write a book, I'm going to do this and that, and then you fall on your face and two days later you're doing nothing. Because what happens then is it reinforces this belief that, ah, look, I'm really hopeless. See, I stuffed that up. I I mucked that up. Mm -hmm. I'm no good at doing anything. It reinforces that very negative stereotype. Psychologists talk about a concept called self-efficacy, which is something I Mm -hmm. like, which is the idea that I am good at getting things done. If you have high self-efficacy, you have this belief, if I set my mind to doing something, I'm going to get it done. And the way you build self-efficacy is through experience of getting things done, of having little successes. Mm. It goes back to this idea of be modest in your goals rather than too OTT because there's a greater chance that you'll achieve. Like with my swimming, I just started with one lap, now I do a kilometre. Mm. Thank you for being so honest mm. about that, Peter. Mm. Sorry for jumping in there, Mel. You're right, Dan. But I think that it's it's such a good thing and once again going back to that vulnerability for people to actually say I'm actually lazy I actually love lying on the couch (laughs) and I think that so many people when you say I have you been oh my god I've been been so so busy busy. I've been so you know I feel like if you don't say that yeah so so some of my friends (laughs) I'll speak to them and she'll go I've been so busy I'll go bullshit you've been watching Netflix on the couch can we laugh well when people when people ask me if I if I'm busy because you're right that's one of the first how are you I guess you've been in fact they don't even ask they just say I guess you've been busy I say no I don't do busy and and so peeps let's not do busy let's try and cross out busy because busy means being stressed and I don't want to do stress. I mean, it's not that I don't do anything. I do things, but I don't do busy as in busy, busy. I'm I guess it's just, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's just an easy answer, isn't it? Yeah. I, look, I'm fascinated with this whole conversation we're having about being lazy and <laughs> you saying to us, essentially, you're a lazy person, that, that you don't mind just sort of lying on the couch. Well, you and enjoy just your downtime. Yeah, but obviously you're not, though, because you do get stuff done. So you must have a, also a sense of self-efficacy because you, well, you've written a book, you talk in seminars, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it, is, are you saying that it's okay to have moments of laziness? Like you wouldn't get anything done, Peter, if you just laid on the couch all day, every day. That's right. And, and, and in fact, if you ask most of my friends if I was lazy, they'd say, oh, no, they, they wouldn't say I was lazy because they look at what I've done and what I've achieved. And I've, I've achieved a lot in my life. I've, I've had a great career. But from a very, very early age, and I write about this in my book, I worked out that I wanted to have a particular relationship between effort and reward. In other words, I wanted <laughs> yes. to do the minimum yes. effort for the maximum reward. 
That just struck me as smart. That's smart. As just smart. Yeah. So yeah. I get yeah. things done, but I get them done with a minimum of effort. So people used to think that I did lots of preparation for my talks and stuff, and I'm, I was very happy for them to think that. The reality is I didn't. I kind of winged it because, you know, I'm a smooth talker. I can kind of bullshit my way along. I mean, I'm being, I'm being brutally honest now. Yeah, uh, there's right. a skill in that. I relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit too well. Well, I mean, when you can get away with it, you do. So, so it's not that I haven't done things or, and I've achieved a lot in my life and I'm very happy about that, but along the way I've had lots of periods. I mean, for example, I had, the last time I had a, a full-time job was 1983 and I was, how old was I then? I was 20, sort of 7, 28-ish. And I thought to myself, I don't want to live like this. It's, it's not that there's anything wrong with it, and a lot of people love that sort of structure. It wasn't for me. And mm. I ended up, I, I resigned my job, and I thought, I just want to go travelling. And I went travelling for a year around the world. And when I came back, I set up a business where I was basically working as a freelancer, and I used to get hired by companies and organisations to go in and run workshops and what have you. I used to work three days a week. And the wonderful thing is because I was the boss, I could take three months' holiday each year. So I'd have a month in the middle of the year and two months at the end of the year. So I worked nine months of the year. And everyone, all of my friends said, oh, that is just amazing. I said, that's why I'm doing it. Yes, it is amazing. It's fantastic. So I used to have three months where I did nothing. I mean, I'm not talking about I went to some university and did research. I went to the beach and hung out and partied a lot. And what? Now that I'm my age, I am so glad that I did that. Glad. Yes. Man, I remember I, I had an aunt who's now long dead, and I I was very close to her, and she lived in Germany. And when her husband died, my uncle, she was living on her own. And I I remember visiting her one day, and she must have been already in her early 60s by then, and I guess I was in my my 40s. And I remember saying to her, after a few wines, I remember asking her, don't you miss having a man in your life? Don't you miss physical contact and having a man in your life now that you're on your own? I'll never forget this. She, she, her, she, she sort of put her head back and she closed her eyes and she laughed and she said to me, oh, Peter, no, because all I have to do is just close my eyes and remember. I won't, I won't go into remember <laughs> what, yeah. but you can imagine. No. And I, That's all right. I think Mel and I are already going there. But, you know, at, <laughs> We're there. <laughs> at, at the time, I didn't know what she, I didn't know what she was talking about. What do you mean remember? Remember what? That's, your memories are mm. going to be enough? And now that I'm the older than she was then, I get it now. Mm. I get it. Not that mm, I don't yes. have mm. a wonderful life full of fun and I'm happily married and all mm. the rest of it, but I'm glad yep. that I had all of that fun back then yeah. while I could because yeah. there's, there's a certain fun that you have when you're 28 that you just can't have when you're 48 or 68. <laughs> yeah. It's just that's yes. just the you way it right. is. Eh? That's yeah. just the way it is. So, That's the yeah. way it's going to be, little uh, dog. Little, that's right. So, um, so I, you yeah. know, I've been on about having work life We'll go balance. riding on the horses. Is that what that song's about? That's right. <laughs> I, I've always had a very good work-life balance. Peter, I actually have been listening to an audio book this week, which is quite an interesting one. And are you familiar with The Untethered Soul by... Michael Singer at all? Uh, I've no? heard of it. I've heard of it. I yeah, so I haven't read one it. of the okay. So one of the thought processes that he goes into in the book 
is that we've all got this underlying energy that flows through us that obviously creates our mental and emotional patterns as well as our inner drives, urges and instinctual reactions. And he, of course, uses probably that main one of the survival instincts as probably the most recognisable one. So the need to protect oneself. And I guess as, as evolution has happened, that once that instinct and that rush that would send blood to our limbs to make us run away from a lion or whatever, now we still get that same or similar rush every now and again to protect ourselves, but we're not actually running away. And what he was talking about, that as we've evolved, he feels like that response to protect ourselves is turning into more of a psychological one than a physical one. Mm, So that's interesting. It's like that our, Mm -hmm. our... our inner fears and our insecurities and our destructive behaviour patterns are the things that we're protecting ourselves from and not so much the outside forces with. So like the same instinct that will make an animal freeze before it runs away. It's kind of like when we're, as you were saying before, starting a conversation, it's like you've always, I know that I can feel that kind of adrenaline running when you're going to introduce yourself to someone new or start that conversation and it's almost like you can kind of push through it or it freezes you and it's that pattern that if you don't break through because it's like the fear the insecurity or whatnot so it's yeah does that make sense I just thought it was a (laughs) really interesting thought process and when you think about it and understand it, it's almost like the saying, feel the fear and do it anyway. You can go, okay, well, I know why I'm feeling like this. It's because my body's designed to, but I don't, I don't have to be scared. I can do hard things. Well, you didn't say I can do hard things, but similar. No, Um, look, look, I, I, uh, I, I haven't read the book, but thank you for that sort of summary. And I do agree with that. And what it reminds me of, is I used to run many, many moons ago a lot of workshops and programs, and one of them was on public speaking and presentation skills. And I also did a lot of one-on-one coaching with senior executives who had to do public speaking and and talk to groups, sometimes small groups, sometimes large groups. And, of course, one of the issues that came up again and again and again, the number one issue was anxiety. Oh, yeah. Anxiety Mm. about public speaking. Now, anxiety is precisely what you're talking about there. It's, it's that we've got this, this, we know we have to speak to this group. We are fearful of their judgment and of their reaction. Yeah. And so that causes us to feel this sort of anxiety. And how do we deal with it? And it can feel overwhelming. I mean, there was one study that showed in America that people mm. feared death more. No, sorry, the people feared Public speaking public more speaking than death. Theater, yeah. Public speaking, that's right, more than death, which is pretty awesome. When I used to run these workshops and people would say, how do you deal with anxiety in public speaking? I said to them, look, if you look at the relationship, the psychological relationship between anxiety and how well you do a task, the more anxious you get actually improves how well you do a task to a certain point. In other words, if I'm feeling kind of really chilled and kind of pretty relaxed and I've got this report to write, well, I might do it, I might not, or I might just... But if I'm thinking, oh, this is due tomorrow and the boss is going to be looking at it, I just feel a little bit more anxious. Chances are I'll actually do a better job of getting started on the report. So 
for whatever task, whether it's public speaking or writing a report or sport or what have you, a, a little bit of anxiety is actually a good thing because it kind of motivates us and gets us moving. Yeah. yeah. Up to a yep. certain point. And then when you get yeah. to that point, if the anxiety level keeps on going, our performance mm. on whatever the task is actually starts to drop off. So it has a negative yeah. effect. Yeah. So what I used yeah. to say to people when they said, oh, I feel anxious when I have to speak in front of a group, I said, that's not a bad thing up to a certain point. So don't, don't feel that you want to get rid of the anxiety. What you've got to learn to do is to ride the anxiety like a horse going back to the song that you were singing just a few moments ago. And, <laughs> Do you want me to and, break into it again? <laughs> and one of the things I also used to say is when, when you are feeling anxious when you're doing public speaking, usually no one can pick it up. No one knows. It feels weird inside mm. of you. Your voice sounds as if it's all over the place and you feel that mm. everyone can see the sweat dripping off you. The reality is no one can. So the trick is fake it till you make it. Just yeah. just go with it. Don't worry mm. about it that much. Just go with it and chances are after a few minutes, once you're in the middle of the talk, your anxiety will actually just sort of drip away. So that would be the sort of answer that I would give to what you're talking about. Yes, we do get anxious in a yeah. whole lot of situations. My, my solution, fake it till you make it. No one can tell. Once you're into it, it'll it'll just drop away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's such a good point. We talk about the good naming advice. it as well. And I think that that is so true. It's like if you think about your own internal thoughts, your judgments and your inner dialogue, it's like catch yourself in that Absolutely. moment and go, "Okay, I know what you're up to here. Yes, this is the anxiety. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to run away from a lion anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, you know, on with it's, it. it's interesting yeah. when we talk about anxiety because there's two types of anxiety. There's what's called primary anxiety and secondary anxiety. So to talk about public speaking, just to use that example again, the primary anxiety is I'm feeling anxious because I've got to talk to this group and I'm scared that they're going to judge me negatively. That's primary anxiety. Secondary anxiety is when we start getting anxious about getting anxious. Yeah, yes. got you, right? The double whammy. The double whammy. And often the secondary anxiety can be stronger than the primary anxiety. Yes. Oh my and that's why yes. I say just accept that you're a bit anxious. No one knows. It's mm. actually going to enhance your performance. Just fake it till you make it. And if you tell yourself that and you talk about internal dialogue and you're absolutely right, you tell yourself that. What, yes. what that does is it cuts out the secondary anxiety. Mm. And because it's interesting that in this book that I've been listening to, they talk, he talks about the negative patterns that come up a lot of the time are from conditioning from our past and events and so mm. many things, little comments that we've latched a hold to and put different meanings to, et cetera, mm. that we're continually replaying. That's but as we've just discussed, if we name it and go, hang on, no, 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 well, no, yeah. that's not now, that was then, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, um, we've moved on. I mentioned a little earlier CBT, cognitive-based therapy, cognitive behaviour therapy. It's one of the most useful types of talking therapies, very, very good for depression and anxiety. Yep. And it's based on a very simple idea, and that is that things happen in our lives and we react to them. So, I mean, let's, let's think what's an example. I mean, let's say I have an argument with my girlfriend and she screams at me and I get upset about that and maybe I avoid seeing her. 
So there's an emotional reaction and a behavioral reaction. The reality is that we tend to say, why are you reacting like that? Oh, because she screamed at me, because she yelled at me. But that's actually not the case because not everyone would react to that same event the same way. See, somebody else might have a girlfriend screaming at you and you just sort of laugh it off. Why is it that certain people react in certain ways to the same event and other people react in a different way? And what CBT CBT tells us is that it has to do with what we tell ourselves about the event, the beliefs that we have. So if you have a belief that people shouldn't scream at me or it's awful if someone screams at me, well, if someone screams at me, you're going to have that reaction. So what CBT does is it helps you identify beliefs that you have that are either irrational, illogical, or untrue, and helps you substitute more useful beliefs, which is, well, I don't like my girlfriend screaming at me, but it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. So It's funny you say that. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. Oh, so, I interrupted. You know, we were talking about masturbation before and all the shoulds that we have. Yeah. A lot of the unhelpful beliefs that we carry around have the word should in them. My girlfriend shouldn't yell at me or I should always do well. I mean, let's say I get a B for an assignment at school or something and I get really upset about it. It's because I should only get A's. Well, is that is that a true belief? Is that a helpful belief? Mm. Is that a logical mm. belief? No. Sometimes you get A's, sometimes you get B's. It's okay. So the idea mm. of identifying, I mean, you talked about catching yourself. That's a, a good word to use. The idea of identifying beliefs that we carry around in our head that are unhelpful or that cause us to react in negative ways, feeling bad, maybe arguing back, maybe avoiding, identifying those beliefs and substituting more useful beliefs for them is at the basis of that form of therapy. And the reality is you can do it yourself. Mm. Yeah, okay. You know, as you said, so you, interesting. you can catch yourself. It's so interesting. You can, if you start, yeah, to, feel, yeah, if you start yeah. to feel bad about something, say, what's causing this? You might say, well, X, Y, Z. And you say, yeah, but what am I telling myself about X, Y, Z? And is that Mm -hmm. helpful, logical, or true? They're the three. Yeah, exactly. So you challenge the irrational belief and you substitute a more rational belief in its place. I mean, it sounds easy. It requires a lot of practice. It requires you to catch yourself and and be aware of this. But once you get the hang of it, you get into it, it can actually be quite liberating. Oh, I would and imagine you know it what? would. I, sorry. <laughs> I, I got turn. into trouble have from a turn, you Mel, have a turn. at the start. For, <laughs> please have a turn. I'm going to have a <laughs> <laughs> No, no, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Oh, now I've probably forgotten what I was doing. No, because I've forgotten my question. <laughs> okay, so... Oh my gosh, I think I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> that's karma. And that's yeah. a bitch. I do I I do want to ask you something. I want to go on to Oh no, I remember now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you two you two remind now- me of sibling rivalry. <laughs> You're not related, yeah. are you? No. <laughs> We've just <laughs> you both said that, that beautifully in unison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like siblings. Yeah. <laughs> that was emphatic. But we've known each other for a very, very long time, yeah. Peter. So th- 
Yeah, 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 exactly. I did want to ask you, how do we stay positive and excited about life? Like, are there some key things that we should be doing? I mean, I suppose we have covered some of them in terms of sort of like creating change and setting those goals and things like that if you want to bring that into your life. But is there anything else that you could share with us that – would be useful for our 50-ish tribe to know? Yeah, look, it's, 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 it's a big question. I, I think we may have talked about this last time, but let me mention it again just in case there are some new people who didn't hear the last one. And it's the idea of purpose in your life. Because that, as you said at the beginning of this talk, that's something that a lot of your, your, your listeners are asking about. Yeah. I believe, and I talk about this in my book quite a lot, I believe there are three elements to having a life purpose. First of all, it's knowing what you're good at. What are your particular good skills? And Mm -hmm. there's a writer called Charles Handy who called this your golden seed. What are your golden seeds? So, for example, in your case, you two, you are obviously very good at producing and presenting radio. I don't know how much you've done. But talking. You're good at talking. (laughs) This is your skill. So the first thing is knowing what your golden seeds are. I mean, what my particular golden seed is, is also talking, but it is in trying Mm -hmm. to simplify and simplify psychological concepts to make them accessible to people. And I think think I'm reasonably good at it. I've got a lot of experience at it. I think I'm reasonably good at it. Peter, you are very good at it. So that's the first thing. Now, if you don't know what your golden seed is, what your skills are. Here's what you do. You ask 10 to 20 people and who know you, and you ask them the question, what do you think I am particularly good at? If you had to list my skills, what would be the top three? Now, listen to what they say and look for the trend because they will tell you. And my guess is in 99.9% of cases, when they tell you, you'll go, oh, yeah, I did kind of know that. Maybe you felt a bit embarrassed acknowledging it. Or sometimes people don't like to say, well, I'm good at blah, blah, blah. So the first thing is to identify what is your golden seed. What what are your particular skills? What can you do better than most other people? Now, once again, going back to Mm -hmm. that idea of scale, all right, it could be hosting Mm -hmm. a podcast. It could be baking cakes. It could be fixing broken toys. It could be gardening. I mean, it can be as big or as little as you like. Mm. It doesn't matter. What's important is that you find out what it is. The second element of having a life purpose is finding a way of expressing those skills, finding a way of actually using those skills. So once again, in your case, you have these terrific skills of talking and producing and presenting podcasts. Hey, guess what? You're presenting a podcast. You've actually done it and you've created. And this very thing that we are on now is your vehicle with, by which you express the skills that you have. But there's a third element, and that is... Whatever the skills are that you use and however it is that you use them should be in the service of other people. In other words, Mm. done not for fame or fortune, which is what most people seek, but rather to try and help other people, to serve other people. And if you can find a way Mm. of getting those three met, you have a purpose in life. And you will know that you have this purpose because when you are doing the thing, whether it's hosting the podcast or volunteering, doing gardening work for elderly people in your area or whatever it is, you will feel this sense of 
I'm at home. I'm doing what I should be doing. You will have this sense of kind of peace and purpose. And it, it, it's a very deep, quiet sense of satisfaction with where your life is right now. But it's got to be those three. When I wrote mm. my book, I explored this issue because I'd done quite a few things in my life and I'd always kind of got a bit bored and a bit frustrated with them. I, I did this and I did that and I was unsatisfied. And I realised only when I wrote the book and, and reflected on this that I, I knew what my skills were. I knew how to use them, but I wasn't using them in the service of others. I was using them to try and make money and get famous. And that was pathetic. Mm -hmm. But there you go. You live and you learn. And now yeah. I realise that my purpose in life is to use the skills that I, I've got in various ways in order just to help people. If I get famous, yep. if I make money, secondary issues. I don't really care. It's not that yeah. important. It's about helping other people. Mm. And I feel now a level of satisfaction in my life that I don't think I've ever had before because I don't feel frustrated now. I'm not trying to achieve yes. some unattainable goal. I, I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing it. And it just gives me a really, really good sense of, of peace and purpose. So I think that's so that's, that's that I can't remember what your question was, but there's your answer. I love it. <laughs> it was to yeah, how do we stay positive and excited about life? So Peter, I guess what you're talking about there is the intrinsic motivation rather than the than the ex yes. like the external yes. the internal rather than the external motivation. Yes. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It is interesting. And mm. a few weeks ago, or it might be quite a few now, we interviewed a really interesting lady, Marta Zaraska. Zaraska. And she has has written on a book on growing younger, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, our, oh, how happiness can help you grow older. And you've mentioned so many similar themes today because in that optimism was huge. And when you said that there's research out there to say that exercise is potentially stronger than diet, yep. she's mm. actually got scientific background that also says that staying optimistic and volunteering and helping kindness. other people and kindness all of those things play a big role mm. in longevity. It's, well, it's a big, big factor well, in it. Well, there is a wonderful book called The Art of Happiness by, the, by an American mm. psychiatrist whose name I forget, but he interviewed the Dalai Lama. If you haven't yeah. read it, go out and read it. It is, it right, is life-changing. Life, and I, I don't use okay. those words lightly. It's this American psychiatrist who interviewed the Dalai Lama and learnt all about Tibetan Buddhism and then mm -hmm. went to the Western scientific psychiatric research to find out whether the Buddhist ideas actually held up in terms of scientific ah, research. the medical, kind of yes, yes, yes. And guess what? Again mm -hmm. and again and again and again, the concepts in Buddhism actually were, were supported by research. And I'll give you one example, just going back to what you were saying. One of the things that Buddhism talks about is altruism which is the idea of doing mm -hmm. things for other people, which ties into what I was just saying. Yep. And yep. Buddhism says that when you think about other people and when you do things for other people, you will actually feel happier. Well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of research. Like they've done some amazing research studies where they've set up situations where people have been helpful and then they've measured their happiness. Guess what? Off the charts. 
So yeah. Yeah, it's not just some yeah. kooky Eastern idea built no. in incense. This is hard Western <laughs> scientific yeah. research supports this again and again. Yeah, and this is what they were saying, like Marta was doing some of these exercises on herself and they're actually measuring her brain chemical output of the certain things and it was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, Mm. yeah. It was Um, really interesting. I'd like to suggest an exercise to to you and and maybe to some of your listeners. Are you giving me homework, Peter? Right. I'm lazy. I'm lazy like you, but I'll do it. (laughs) Uh, You get a B. You got permission. Uh, But that's okay. Okay, yeah. Um, (laughs) Excellent. yeah, and I, I, I actually I actually described this exercise in my book because when I wrote it, I was in my mid sixties. It was a few years ago, and I was trying to I was trying to trying to get a kind of picture of well, where's my life going? What what's my life going to look like? Let's say over the next fifteen years. And mm-hmm. so what I did was I imagined myself at the age of eighty, looking back over the previous 15 years of my life, in other words, from the age of 65 to 80. I imagined myself 80, and the task was to write about what had happened in those 15 years. Okay. Now, it's a kind of weird exercise because you don't really know what's going to happen over the next 15 years. I mean, you might have some dreams, you might have some fantasies, you might have some fears, you might have some insecurities. You probably got all of the above. But what I found, and, and the, the other instructions, so the instructions are imagine that you're 80 or you could do yep. if you're 50, you might say imagine I'm 70. So imagine yourself about 15 years older, can be 20, probably not more than 20. Imagine yourself okay. that age and that you are now writing up what has happened in the, the past. I mean, it's not really the past, but it's your imagined past. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. write up what happened. Now, one of the other instructions is don't think about it too much. Just pick up your pen or start on the computer and just bash it out without thinking about it. Because the more you think about it, the more your internal critic will kind of kick in and start saying, yeah, yeah, no, don't do this. Just kind of have it as a sort of stream of consciousness exercise. Yep. And when I look back on it, it was the most fascinating exercise. And I I actually have it in my book, what, what what I wrote for this exercise. It was absolutely fascinating in terms of I built in some of the fears that I was sort of aware of but hadn't really kind of thought about them. This brought them up to the surface. And in what I wrote, I looked at how did I actually cope with these various fears that I had. And the the bottom line result for me of doing this exercise is that I developed a lot more confidence about the years ahead. Because it can be scary. Getting older can be scary. What happens if you start thinking about all these horrible scenarios? Somehow writing about it from the point of view of me 15 years down the track took a whole lot of the anxiety and the fear out of it and actually gave me a greater sense of confidence that I'm going to be able to handle whatever happens. But also on the positive side, it gave me a clearer picture of how I want those years to be and what it is that I want to do. So I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend that. Do you think you could do it? Right. Challenge is yeah, out there. Yeah, challenge is out there. I um, like it. Yeah, I do too. I would definitely give it a crack. Does it have to be in one sitting? Yes. 
okay. Just and like a blurt, like a famous yeah. first draft. Yeah, mm. just, and they just call it the bash it. draft where you just blurt it just out. Just bash it out. I mean, there's no word length. I'm not saying it has to be a thousand. I mean, just write yep. as much or as little as you yep. like, but just try and bash it out. Mm-hmm. The, the more uncensored it is, the better, because the more it'll really tap mm-hmm. into your real fears, aspirations, fantasies, concerns, good things and the bad things. But I found it an extraordinary exercise, so I, I really recommend it. Love it. Yeah, so do I. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, it might uncover a few things. Yeah, but I to- just I think that today's chat has been so wonderful and timely just for that insight into ourselves yet again. Yeah, and ageing. Mm. So which yeah, is something that much. we very much wanted to talk about today. So, Peter, Trish and I could just sit here and – just keep rattling off questions because you are so epic to talk to. But we are running out of time, unfortunately, and I'm going to skip our usual wrap-up question because we've asked you this before. And instead, I'm what going to the, ask what, what was the, be... What was the question you asked before? Well, the question, at the, our normal wrap-up question is like, what would the 60-ish Peter tell the 20-ish Peter if you could go back in time? That is our, that would be my regular question I to think, you. Well, we've probably already asked you that No, last we have. Time. So that's yeah. why so I've come up with a different wrap-up question. Yeah, yeah. So what I want to ask is... <laughs> Unless like we can, because you might have a different answer. <laughs> have a different no, no, answer. So question. what would... What Actually, would be tell me the other question, and I'll, tell me the other question, and then I'll, just, I'll decide which <laughs> question right. I answer. How's that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Done. So now you've got the unusual wrap-up yeah. question, but my revised question for you is: Would there be a key piece of information from our chat today you would like our fifty-ish tribe to take away? I almost think I know that the exercise that we just did. And here's the thinking music. You've got 10 seconds to decide. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way it's going to be, little darling. Yes, (laughs) I I do. And that is that it's so easy to focus on what you lose as you get older. You lose your looks, you lose your this and you lose your that. And I think it's more important to focus on what we gain. And it's not just wisdom. It's we don't have that little chattering voice quite as much nagging us and bothering us and criticising us. We have an opportunity to give back and to feel peace. And, look, I have to say my my experience so far of ageing, and I'm going to be 70 next year, so far it's been bloody fantastic. I wouldn't swap it for all mm. the tea in China. So I think that's what I would say. Yes. That is so cool. Very profound. Yeah, yeah, I know. And But just focusing because it's actually you're focusing on the positives rather than the negative as well. And that's so important to how we age and to ageing well. And we are pro-ageing, the three of us. Pro-ageing. That's the goal. Oh, I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the goal, right? We want to age. That's we, we want to thrive. We want to age. We do. So, because, as I've said before, the, the alternative is, is yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's it from us today. We will put links to today's awesome guest, Peter Quarry, including his book and that interview with Jane Fonda in our show notes so you can read and learn more. And don't forget to stay in touch. Follow us on Instagram at don'tgiver50 or email us at hello at don'tgiver50.com.au. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like us to discuss or if you'd like to put yourself or someone forward to 
be a guest, go to our website, www.dontgiver50.com.au. And while you're there, sign up to be part of our 50-ish tribe. Also, and very importantly, if you've got a moment, leave us a rating and a review. Remember, gorgeous 50-ishers, life is for living. Don't give a 50 because we're all 50 and awesome regardless of age and living and ageing is an absolute privilege and just being awesome is our right. And Absolutely. I should also put in there 60-ishers. Absolutely. And 70-ishers because you're freaking awesome. Peter, thank you Peter, so much once again. Cannot thank you enough. Homework, Peter. Great. I'm lazy. I'm lazy like you. (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.